A reading from Psalm 133. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. A reading from the Gospel according to Mark. When it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and when they had taken their places and were eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and to say to him one after another, Surely not I. He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the bowl with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The word of the Lord. Village Fest. Wow. Are you enjoying this? This is good stuff, isn't it? It's our chance to try to bring the whole family of the church together in one place at one time and do some of the things that all of us enjoy and find deep meaning in in our worship together. It's our opportunity to remind ourselves in our own little way, say to the world, that we are a village community a community of God, a family gathered together around our common belief in the Savior Jesus, a family that frankly we do not choose to be a part of, but God first chooses us to be part of. We celebrate the fact that we have all kinds of different folks in this church. We'd love to have more diversity in our church. For heaven's sakes, we've welcomed yet another Lutheran among us today. So that's a good thing. <laughs> See, I know Michael's a tough guy. He can handle it. <laughs> you have, there are lots of latent Lutherans here, by the way, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we are celebrating, we are affirming, we are holding up right in front of our faces and the face of the world the fact that we are a family, we want to be a family. We celebrate and enjoy everything it is to be together in one place. A place where brothers and sisters are blessed by dwelling together in unity with each other. And yet as we do that, we have to be very honest with ourselves. 
that it can be difficult and seemingly well-nigh impossible for human families to exist. Every single one of us can mention at least one member of our extended family who doesn't get along very well with the rest, can't we? Do not look to either side of you. Don't look at the person next to you and say, yeah, see? <laughs> right? All of us have to admit that sometimes the whole human family doesn't work very well as a community. It's a great thing to say that we are the village church, and we're one big happy family, but frankly, it stresses some people out just a little bit to have drums in church. And it stresses other people out just a little bit to hear the organ being played. And it only goes on from there. But that's a minor problem compared to the problems that we experience in the human family, is it not? We live in a world where unity, where community seems impossible to achieve. We live in a world where it is much easier, much more convenient and expedient, and sometimes even satisfying, to draw lines and to build walls and to say that you or you are not part of the family. If you're a person of faith, that should give you pause. That should make you wonder about what our world community is all about, especially when we celebrate a God who calls us to be one family. This fall, starting today and going through Thanksgiving Sunday, we are going to be talking with each other about the opportunities, the possibilities, the promise, the problems, the issues of being family, of being community, of getting along with each other. We're going to be talking about life together. Look in your bulletin at the sermon title, Life Together, First of All, With God. We're going to spend two or three months talking about this issue because I see it, and many others along with me see it, as one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest issues, and also one of the biggest possibilities one of the brightest hopes, one of the most fervent promises that we have. Now the problem of family, the problem of unity and community and getting along with each other is not a new problem, is it? It's a problem that goes back to the beginning of time. It's a problem 
that you can argue is one of the biggest stories of what you and I call the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. Do you remember how the story starts? God creates everything. He puts Adam and Eve in the garden, and then they instantly start having a problem getting along with God. Adam and Eve get along well enough with each other to have a couple of kids. That's a good sign. (laughs) But those two kids, Cain and Abel, have a problem getting along with each other. And frankly, the rest of the story can be seen through this one lens. Through the light of looking at the problem of human community with God and with each other. And so it's no surprise that in the songbook of the Old Testament, in the Psalms, we have one of the shortest psalms, and I happen to like short things. We have one of the shortest psalms. It took some of them a while to get that. Did you notice that, Dick? (laughs) One of the shortest psalms talks about one of the most beautiful, most powerful, most poignant theological issues. Behold, hold it up and look at it right here, how good and pleasant it is when sisters and brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the oil that runs down over the head and the beard of Aaron. It is like the Jew that falls upon Mount Hermon. Now, I have to tell you that I've always had a problem with this psalm because I don't like to get oily and sticky and greasy, and that's always, you know, oil running down my head. No, thank you very much. That is not a vision of peace and joy as far as I'm concerned. But, but in a parched, dry land where your skin cracks, oil is a beautiful thing. In a parched, dry land where water is scarce, The heavy dew that falls on beautiful Mount Hermon is a beautiful thing. I've seen Mount Hermon from Israel, from Jordan, and from Syria. Big, beautiful, tall mountain always covered with snow. Behold how good and pleasant it is when people dwell together in unity. That's the positive way of saying it. What if we stated it negatively? How absolutely terrible and terrifying and horrible it is when people lie and cheat and steal and rape and pillage and plunder, and enslave, and oppress, and slaughter each other. There's the two options we have. So what do we do about it? Every single person in this room realizes that getting along with other folks ain't always so easy. And it begins with the fact that getting along with ourselves 
is not always so easy. And we can't solve the problem. It's hopeless. Except for God. Our only hope is in the God who made us. The God who designed us to be a certain way and gave us every option, every scrap of information that we need. It is in that God whom we hope. It is in that God and our relationship with that God and our opening our hearts and minds and very souls to the presence and power of that God today and every second from here on out that opens to us the possibility of learning how to get along with ourselves and learning how to get along with God and learning how to get along with each other. This is, in some respects, the fundamental message of the Christian faith. It is by amazing grace that we are saved. Grace from God. It is by amazing grace that we are welcomed into a relationship with God and with each other. And so more than the problems of human community that I want to talk about this fall, more than the issues and questions and seeming disaster that human life is and can be on the planet Earth, I want to talk about the possibilities. I want to talk about the promise. I want to talk about what it means to have a relationship with God that heals you inside your soul and heals your relationships with your sisters and your brothers and your mothers and your fathers. And ultimately, we believe and we hope one day will heal the world. And that takes us to something else that we're going to be talking about this year. You see, in the way we think about church life, the year sort of begins on September 1 in some ways. It doesn't begin on January 1. Now, liturgically, I know the year begins with Advent, but, but the way we are in our culture, this is kind of the beginning of a year, right? Everybody know that, right? You've got your big chief tablets and you've got your crayons and you're ready to go to school. It's the beginning of the year. Later on this year, actually next spring, we will celebrate the 10th anniversary of the privilege we have of worshiping in this sanctuary. And you're all saying, no, how could it have been 10 years, right? But that's right. Next April will be 10 years that we've been worshiping in this beautiful space that God has given us the privilege to worship in. And so part of what we're going to be doing is about talking about it is about how this space teaches us something about our God and about ourselves and about who we are and what we do. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That we have this big honking church to gather in. And we have this big honking pipe organ and this beautiful cross and this amazing architecture and this beautiful glass and a very unique baptismal font over there. But today I want to start out by talking about what is arguably the most important physical feature of this sanctuary. It's this table. Think about the tables that you have gathered around in your life. There is a round oak table 
in my mama and daddy's kitchen back home. It's about half the size of this table. And for the first 18 years of my life, that's the table that mom and dad and my brother and I gathered around to have our meals with each other. That's the first table that I really remember, and it's still there. I remember lots of other tables that I've gathered around. I remember the, the two-by-four little table in our little church that would fit in this corner of our sanctuary here, the first communion table that I ever saw. I remember the four-foot-wide, 15-foot-long communion table in the Gothic sanctuary of First Presbyterian Church in Albuquerque, where I used to worship and where I partly grew up. I remember massive communion tables at the General Assembly in 1983 in Atlanta when 15,000 Presbyterians celebrated the reunion of the Presbyterian Church. I remember communion tables all over the world. I remember especially communion tables in churches like Holmes and Aleppo and Damascus, churches that were destroyed and tables that were destroyed by war, by war but, but where people still gather together. It's not just communion tables. I remember the little fold-out aluminum tables that you'd take with you up into the mountains and pop open and have a beautiful meal out in the trees. I remember tables that weren't even really tables. You know, you can create a table by spreading a blanket out on the grass, maybe on the lawn beside the Eiffel Tower, and you put down a bottle of wine and a few chunks of cheese with some crackers and some great friends around it, and you have a table, don't you? There's one table, one table that defines all the others. Mark tells us that Jesus gathered with his disciples, but we're not sure that it was around a table. Could have been a table. More, more likely was a cloth spread out on the ground. We're told that they were reclining they were gathered around a table to celebrate. They were having a party. A party that remembered the liberation of the Hebrew slaves. A party that celebrated the creation of the nation of Israel in a new way. A table around which they shared special food, special bread, special wine, to remember that God is a God who redeems and who renews and who creates a community of people. Jesus and his disciples were a small community, 12 along with the one. That night as they gathered around whatever kind of table it was, 11 of the 13 thought they were just celebrating the Passover. Two of them knew differently. One was named Judas. The man who would betray Jesus and set in motion a series of events that would kill the Son of God, but ultimately, by God's power, save the world. Think about it. This table reminds us of every single problem of human life on the planet Earth, all brought together in that one person named Judas. But then there's Jesus. The table doesn't belong to Judas. The table belongs to Jesus. Jesus sat at this table, 
And he said to those who were gathered with him, still Judas was there even. And he said, I'm going to break my body for you and I'm going to pour my blood for you. I'm going to do it now and I'm going to do it again, but not until the kingdom of God comes. This table is a representation of the kingdom of God. It is a place where the kingdom of God is coming to be. It is already here and it is coming. This table is a place around which we gather, where we are nourished, where we are fed, where we are saved from ourselves, where we are given an opportunity to learn not a new way, but the first way of being human in the way that God made us to be. That's why we gather around the table. I was thinking about tables a lot this week, and I was reminded of what is really one of my favorite songs about a table. It's a song that came out in the very early 1970s by one of my very favorite singers, and you're all trying to guess who that was, and his name was Neil, actually. Neil Diamond <laughs> sang a song about a table. Some of you are remembering it right now. Let me read some of the lyrics for you. Morning sighed, the old man died, and no one cried. They simply turned away. And when he died, he left a table made of nails and pride, and with his hands he carved these words inside, for my children. And the legs were shaped with his hands, and the top made of oaken wood. And the children sat around this great table, touched with their laughter, and ah, oh, that was good. Morning sighed, an old man died, and no one cried. He surely died alone. And truth is sad, for not a child would claim the gift he had. The words he carved became his epitaph for my children. The story is told that some of Neil's elderly family had recently died alone. And he was trying to deal with what that means for people to die by themselves with no one to love them. And so he wrote this song. Neil Diamond was a Jew, is a Jew. God loves him. I heard that song and, and I thought, because I didn't know he was a Jew for years and years and years, I thought he was writing about this table. Whether he knew it or not, Neil, I'll apologize to you later, he was writing about this table. A table for God's children to gather around 
and to begin to experience the unity and community that we share as inhabitants of the planet Earth, as people whom God loves, as people whom God calls to love each other, as people who need God's forgiveness and joy and power, as people who, when we come, meet our Savior, a Savior who says, I died for all of you. Start there. ministering in the name of Jesus Christ, because I work for him. I invite you to come to this table to meet the God who loves you, the God who nourishes you, the God who calls you to gather and then to disperse in the world to welcome everyone else. Amen.